This podcast is a presentation of Faith Assembly of God, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Get more information online at faithishere.org and join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 11 a.m. Thank you for making this podcast a part of your week. I want you to open your Bibles. If you've got a Bible, I want you to open up to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. It's in the Old Testament. We're just going to get right to it. Does that sound good? All right, we're going to get right to it. The book of Isaiah, go to chapter 59. Chapter 59. I'm just going to read a quick scripture out of Isaiah. Then we're going to go to 2 Corinthians. I can hear the pages turning. It makes me happy. So thankful for, for Jason and Jessica and... And uh, they've opened their home to me, and I just need to, to let you know that uh, Jessica is one of my favorite uh, cookstress, as I call it. Uh, she, she knows how to cook up a meal, and I'm thankful for that. Um, thankful for their little boys. They're so cute. I have two ridiculously good-looking boys myself. Um, Halen is six, and Noble is four. And uh, I have a super fine wife. Her name is Sarah, and she cannot be here this time with me, but she also loves this church. She's been here before, and she sends her greetings as well. Isaiah 59, verse 19, it says this. It says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall raise a standard against him. Amen? Let's just read it again because it's just good. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the The spirit of the Lord shall raise a new standard against him. It's already getting good. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, it's in the New Testament, right after 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you've gone to Galatians, you've gone too far. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. As you're turning... um, I, uh, I brought a resource with me. If you have young people that are connected to you somehow, some way, maybe you've got your own students, maybe you are a young person, or maybe you know someone with young people, I brought a resource that I really feel would be a benefit to them, something to challenge them. There are four messages in this. It's called The Goods, and there are four messages in this. One is on leadership, challenging students to be leaders. The other is um, a message called Dangerous Love, which is uh, the... It talks about how important it is for us to get outside and break through fear and to reach people for Jesus. That's what he's called us to do, to reach people. I've also got a message in here that I believe is timely uh, for the culture that we live in, and it's what to say to a gay friend. How many of you know that your young people, the young people that you know every single day when they walk through the halls of their schools, they're encountering people who are struggling with their identity? I believe this is a word that would challenge them, what they can say to to their friends that are gay, what they can say, how they can pray for them. Um, I, I think that message alone is worth it. And then there's another one that's entitled distraction. Distraction is one of the enemy's easiest tools to keep us from experiencing God's blessing. Um, this, I've only brought 20 copies of this. It's going to be on sale next two services and then all week long at the youth, um, the awakening. It's $20. I, I believe that it is worth the investment. Um, this is God's word. It's not man's word. And it is 
good, if I do say so myself. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Read with me. It's going to start in verse 9. It says this. Paul's talking. He said, but he said to me, talking about Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And we are going to hone in on that scripture this morning. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on, therefore, because of that, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Amen? I want to speak to you real briefly this morning from the subject, flood control, flood control. Write that down. Write it on a neighbor's forehead if you have to. Back of your hand, on your arm. Hopefully you've got some notes. Let's pray one more time. God, we thank you so much for this moment. Lord, we thank you that it has been ordained by you. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us now. God, I pray that we would leave this place different. Do something on the inside of us. Your word declares that it is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray, God, that you would begin to divide between soul and spirit this morning. Deposit your word in our heart and cause us to change truly truly from the inside out. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, the faster you respond, the faster I'll preach. All right? It was 1984, Christmas Eve, and I was seven years old. And I had just got back from the mall just the day before, presenting my list in Santa's lap. I only had two things on my list that year. Ironically, in today's day, youngsters have lists and lists and lists. My six-year-old came to me the other day with six envelopes. I said, what are these? He said, these go to Santa. He's been writing his Christmas list since June, and he's six. I said, son, I had two things on my list when I was your age. A millennial falcon and some parachute pants. Michael Jackson was my hero when he was still Michael Jackson. Not only did I want a millennial falcon and some parachute pants, but this was the year that I was going to catch Santa in the act. I was going to do everything I could to see Santa Claus. I was going to be the boy that they would make a made-for-TV movie about and show for the rest of eternity. The boy who saw Santa Claus. The Jesse Watson story. And so I began to strategize. I began to think, how am I going to capture Santa Claus? How am I going to do this? And so I found the, the best cookies. I found the best milk. And I began to, to set my trap. I remember that specific Christmas Eve. All the family was over. We were having a great party. It was Christmas time, and I can remember being seven years old and, and just grabbing coffee off the table and drinking it because I wanted to make sure that I stayed up. I was going to do everything I could to make sure I did not fall asleep. That time came where my dad asked me to go ahead and get into bed, and the faster I went to sleep, the faster Santa Claus would come. But I was determined. I made sure that I would stay awake. I, I, I did the, the slap technique. No, make sure that I would stay awake, wiggled my toes, 
wiggled my fingers, shook my legs, anything that I could to, to stay awake. Eventually, I, I drifted off at some point, and uh, a couple, couple hours later, at some time in the night, I was wakened to the most thunderous noise, I promise. Well, I, all of a sudden, the loudest noise, it sounded like a jet was hovering over my house, just this, just constantly, and I just sprang out of bed, and I knew Santa Claus was at my house, and as I listened, I, I began to realize that Santa Santa's sleigh was not carried by reindeer. It was a jet engine. Jeez, I was seven. I wasn't naive. I knew Santa's was propelled by something more powerful than that. And so uh, I got out of bed and I made sure the coast was clear. And as I began to walk down the hall, the noise got a little bit louder. And I began to to walk down the steps very quietly, very slowly. And as I uh, approached the, the bottom level, it was extremely loud. And I put one foot down onto the bottom floor, and immediately my ankle was immersed in water. I looked to my left, right into the living room, and all of a sudden I see this flood of water pouring out of the second floor onto the first floor. The, the ceiling's ruined, the floor's ruined, furniture's wet everywhere. I turn to my right, my grandmother is sweeping the water down the hall. I thought she was in a boat paddling for a few minutes. I thought I was in a, a, a dream that I, I didn't know what was taking place. Turns out that one of our pipes froze. And all of a sudden it burst open and, and, and water just began to flood the house. And it was definitely a memorable Christmas. Probably the best part about it, though, was I did get my parachute pants. Two pairs. Black and gray. You know, the Bible likens the enemy to a flood. Isaiah 59, 19 says, when the enemy comes in like a flood. Doesn't say if the enemy comes in. Doesn't say perchance, maybe you'll experience the enemy. It says when the enemy comes in like a flood. And it's interesting because you and I know that floods are extremely dangerous, aren't they? They have the ability to destroy communities, neighborhoods. They have the ability to cause great economic stress. They leave casualties in their wake. If you remember back in May, Nashville had the greatest flood in their history. Over 30 people lost their lives. Floods are extremely dangerous. And so when the Bible describes the enemy as a flood, it reminds me that the enemy has one purpose for our lives. And that's found in John 10. 10, it says this, the enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But how many of you know that when the enemy is at his worst, God is at his best? Isaiah 59, 19 goes on to say that, yeah, when the enemy comes like a flood, that the spirit of God will raise up a new standard against him. I love the word standard there. If you do a little research, there's many definitions. My favorite is this. A new level in excellence or authority. You see, God has given the believer authority over the enemy. He's given you the ability to live a life 
of excellence, spiritual excellence. And we are to walk in that authority. When the enemy comes in like a flood, we're to stand up against the enemy, not in our own power, but by the power of God and to start exercising spiritual excellence and authority. You know, I've discovered something as I've matured in ministry and matured in life. And it's this. God rarely calls the equipped. You know, if you've got it all together, if you've got a plan, if you just know I'm just going to do this on my own, I don't need nobody's help, I don't need anything from anybody, I'm going to succeed on my own, come hell or high water, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure I'm successful. God rarely calls people like that because God is into partnership. He wants to work with us. He wants to work on our behalf. He wants us to submit to him. Case in point, Noah. You think Noah just had a bunch of wood sitting around in his yard? So God called him? Like God's looking around thinking, I'm going to flood the earth soon. I need somebody who's got a lot of wood. Jimmy's got a lot of wood, but Noah's got more. God rarely calls the equipped. God always equips the called. God always equips the called. You see, when God called Noah, Noah responded in obedience and God equipped him. He equipped him with what was necessary because God, because Noah responded in obedience. Blessing always follows obedience. God always equips the called. No matter what you're doing in life, no matter where you are, if you're a believer, it is God's intention to use you where you're at. It is God's purpose for where you are. Some of you, you may think that you're just a manager managing some store, managing some people. But let me tell you something. God has placed you there and he's given you favor, not just so you can earn a paycheck, but so that you can be an influence to those around you. My wife worked for one of the most morally corrupt companies in our generation for 10 years, a a company called Abercrombie & Fitch. God didn't have her there for the paycheck, although it was good. God didn't have her there for the company car. It was a Jeep. God had her there to influence the people that he put around her. And you know what he did? As she remained faithful to answer what he was asking her to do, as she stepped out in faith, as she stepped out in obedience, trusting God, leaning on his understanding, you know what he did? He began to make her path straight. He began to give her favor with her company. All of a sudden, year after year, she began to to progress and go up the corporate ladder. But it wasn't for the success. It was so that God could be influenced through her. All of a sudden, Abercrombie came to her, and you know what they asked her to do? They said, here's what we want you to do. We've noticed your skill. We've noticed your ability. We want you to write the entire district manager training manual. And so you know what she did? Absolutely, I will. And she filled it with leadership principles from God's word. God always equips the called. 
Every person that's trained now through Abercrombie and Fitch gets the word of God on the inside of them without them even knowing it. God hasn't called you just to where you're at, just to be there, just to collect a paycheck. God has called you to be an influence. And if he's called you there, he will equip you. You have to be obedient to that calling. had an interesting discussion a couple of weeks ago with a couple of interns in our youth ministry. We sat down at a table and I started to ask them questions like, who are the called? Some of them said, well, the pastor's the called. There's a call of God on the pastor's life because he prays more than everybody. He reads the word more than everybody. And he gives more than everybody. So he's got to be the called. Okay, yeah, maybe, maybe. Another one piped up and said, well, the missionaries definitely called. Because they go to cities nobody else wants to go to. They reach people nobody else wants to reach. They eat food no one else wants to eat. Missionaries are definitely called. But we got a good point there. Another guy said, well, the evangelist is the call because he goes into to cities and he's traveling all the time and he's delivering the word. He's, he's definitely called. The worship leaders definitely called. He writes the music, the people sing. He leads people in worship. He's definitely called. I said, well, that's interesting because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that when you commit your life to Christ and you begin to follow him, you are the called. I don't care if you make money being a professional minister. I don't care where you're at. If you follow God, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've traded your selfishness for his selflessness, and all of a sudden you're starting to walk his ways and live according to his principles and precepts, you are called. And so if you're called, rest assured, God will equip you to fulfill the destiny that he has on your life. This morning, I want to touch on simply one of the tools that God uses to help you accomplish the destiny that he has for your life. The principle is actually found in Mark chapter 4. I'm going to just briefly read it to you. You don't have to turn there. Mark chapter 4, write it down, read through it later. But I want to talk to you about the principle of the rebuke. It is a tool that I believe is far underutilized in the Christian life. And this is what Jesus says, Mark chapter 4, this is what's happening. The Bible says that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind them, they got into the boat. All of a sudden, a furious storm came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. So nice of you, Jesus. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Don't you see what's happening? The storm's coming in and hey, it's, it's raining on us. The boat's filling up. We're about to die. Don't you even care? Do you even, do you even know what's happening? You ever been in a moment like that? God, are you there? Do you care what's going on with me right now? The Bible says this in verse 40. He said, he got up. And he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. Now, there's another scripture that says, 
Be still and know that I'm God. Be still, quiet and be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? You have no faith. Jesus rebukes the wind and the rain and everything calms down. And then he rebukes his disciples. Why don't you have any faith? You've been with me for two, three years. You've seen me do these things. Like, don't I have some credibility with you now? Sometimes the storms in life often seem like they're too much for us to deal with. Realize that when storms come your way, situations or circumstance that seem to be over your head are simply Satan's resistance to the plan of God in your life. More times than not, when I have found that I'm going through some stuff, it's because God is about to take me to a new level. I think one person said, uh, when, when you go to a new level, there are new devils. And when the resistance comes your way, recognize that God is about to do something if he's not already on your behalf. And the enemy is torn. The enemy is sent uh, on a mission to destroy what God is doing in your life. Jesus gets up and he rebukes the resistance of the enemy. It's a tool that you and I need to access in our walk with Christ. Well, that sounds good, Jesse, but that's Jesus. He's the man with the plan. He's the man with the power. That's God's son. Of course, he can rebuke the wind and the rain, Jesse. Listen. John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus says this. If you have just a little faith in me, just a little bit of faith, you will do everything I've done. You mean we'll, we'll raise people from the dead? Yep. You mean we'll cause the blind to see? Absolutely. Unless you just don't believe Jesus. Will we cause people who have deaf ears to hear? Yeah. Not only that, Jesus goes on to say, not only will you do what I've done, you'll do more. But you just need a little faith. Problem is... We don't have an accurate understanding of what faith is. And so a lot of times we'll pray to God and we'll ask God, oh God, would you just heal my aunt? She's got cancer. She's going through it. I'm praying, God, I need you to heal her. Six months down the road, God doesn't heal her and she passes away. And so all of a sudden you're starting to question if God really exists. Let me tell you, that's faulty faith. God never said he would heal your aunt. But what he did say is that I'll give you grace and mercy. So no matter what you're going through, I'm going to get you through it. True faith is understanding that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he'll do. And what he says he'll do is give you grace and mercy. So here's Jesus. He's saying, if you just have a little bit of faith, you'll do what I've done. You'll be able to rebuke the enemy's resistance against my plan for your life. And you'll do more. If you and I were grabbing some coffee one morning, just you and me, preferably Starbucks. Iced coffee with milk and vanilla. 
Let's just talk about this for a moment. And maybe you would say, how? How could I do what Jesus did? And how could I do more? If you're, if you're saying that it's a possibility, if Jesus is saying that you can do that, then tell me how. I think scripture is full of examples, but this morning I just want to key in on one, and that's in 2 Corinthians. We read it earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to read this to you, work through it, and then we're going to close. I love what's taking place in this passage. Paul is at this church in the city of Corinth. Now, this is a a church plant that's been doing some amazing things. And so Paul's kind of been back and forth between churches, just checking uh, up on them. He's an apostle, so he's overseeing a variety of churches and pastors and leaders. And so he's coming back to Corinth, and they're just kind of having this good old get-together. And so as I read through this scripture... Uh, I start picturing what's taking place. And in my mind, I'm seeing Paul, and he's just kind of probably sitting in this big old lazy boy chair, and he's got these fellas around him, all from the church of Corinth, and, and he's just telling stories. They've got the game on, they've got some nachos, and some of those little weenies, smokies, like those. They're just chilling. They're just... They're just hanging out, and and all of a sudden, Paul starts talking about these stories because he's been everywhere, he's seen it all, he's been with Jesus, he's probably got some stories to tell. And so he's just kicking back, and he's saying, guys, there's there's this one guy I know 14 years ago. All of a sudden, he was caught up in the third heaven, and he starts talking about this. He starts going on and on and on. And these guys are probably just leaning in. Tell us more. Tell us more. That's so amazing. We love hearing these stories. Then all of a sudden, Paul kind of changes his tune. He starts to remember that he's, he's starting to get in a little bit of hot water as he tells these stories. And the scripture records that he says something like this. The experiences that I've had, they're awesome. They're great, and they're worth boasting about because it encourages you. But I've decided not to boast in those anymore because I'm not always sure who's around. And so I'm not always sure what they may think of me when I start telling these crazy stories. And so the Lord actually, to to help me in this, he goes on to say, the, the Lord actually gave me a thorn in my flesh. And it was a messenger of Satan. And the thorn in my flesh was really given to me for for one reason. And that was to remind me that everything that I've seen, everything that I've accomplished, everything that I've done has not been in my own strength. It's not been in my own power, but it's been that of the power of God working in me and through me. And so when I begin to think of all of these things, I'm reminded, boast in my weaknesses. Because here's what Jesus told me, guys. He says this, listen, I asked Jesus to take this thorn away from me. I'm sick of dealing with the problem. I'm sick of dealing with this issue. But this is what Jesus said. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power. It's made perfect in weakness. Here's the Apostle Paul who's got this thorn in his flesh. I don't know what that was. I don't know what your thorn is. 
Maybe it's temptation. Maybe it was a struggle that he's been dealing with. Maybe it was, maybe it was uh, uh, just an issue that he has, has unresolved and, and God is just working on him and working on him and working on him. And he's just wanting to get rid of it. He's wanting to run from it. He's wanting to, to put it behind him. That's a great idea. But Jesus said this, instead of me taking it away from you, let it be a reminder that my grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient. And so when you're weak, when you're feeling the temptation, when you're feeling the pull, when you're feeling the enemy rise up like a flood, why don't you just remember that my power is made perfect in your weakest moments? And we've got Christians today who are running from their weaknesses. They're running from their weaknesses. They're trying to hide. They're trying to cover up so the enemy doesn't attack them. And instead, what Jesus is saying is, let your weaknesses be a reminder that my power is made perfect in the weakness. That's your moment to stand up and to rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus. So Paul made this decision. He said, if that's the case, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. I'm going to boast about my insults and hardships and persecutions. I'm going to boast about my difficulties because when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. If the enemy's plan for you is to steal, kill, and destroy, there's good news because God also has a plan for you. God's plan is this, that you would have a hope, that you would be prosperous, that you would have a great And so when the enemy comes in like a flood, all of a sudden, we don't know where to turn. We don't know where to go. You have been given the power of God, the authority to stand up and send the enemy back to which he came from. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. My grace is sufficient for you. You know, the, that word thorn in my flesh, band can, can come on up. That word, the thorn in my flesh, means two things. First, it means a stake that you can't get away from. Can't move. But it also means to gasp for air. Sometimes. The enemy's flood gets a little too high. And it leaves us gasping for air. But by the grace of God, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a new standard against it. A standard of excellence in your spiritual life. A standard of authority to rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus. I believe that there are people here this morning who need to access the tool of rebuke. You need to put it on your spiritual tool belt and use it on a daily basis because the enemy is coming at you. The enemy is coming at you like a flood, whether it be your finances, whether it be your marriage. Listen, the enemy is after marriages of today. 
And it is a no-holds-barred threat. And the enemy will do whatever he can to weave his way in between the covenant which was made by God. It is time for some of us to stand up and to rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus. That he has no power, no authority, no control over the life of a believer. But that God has a destiny for you. God has something great for you. It requires you to stand up and to walk in obedience. And your blessing will follow. This podcast has been a presentation of Faith Assembly, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Thank you for listening this week.